Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat, we're going to consider how to create and maintain a company culture that rocks. My guest this time is Jim Knight, founder and owner at Knight Speaker. He's also a keynote speaker, facilitator, and influencer in the culture space. A training and development veteran of 30 plus years, Jim Knight facilitates on a variety of topics, including amping up organizational culture, world-class differentiated services, building rockstar teams, and leadership. Along with his business partner, Brant Mantois, Jim hosts a weekly leadership podcast called Thoughts That Rock, which includes a rockstar guest, and presents two life-changing pieces of advice in a 30-minute session. Finally, Jim and Brandt offer a leadership training program called Certified Rockstar as an edu-training rock and roll-inspired experience for leaders looking to amp up their business in a variety of areas. Jim, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Same here, Bill. I appreciate it, man. I'm a big fan, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you read all that off. It sounds like I'm busy. <laughs> <Doesn't> it? <laughs> It really does. In fact, let's, let, let's start there, Jim. Uh, beyond my wee introduction, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself and what do you get up to? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, my um, my background's really sort of a hodgepodge. It's a combination of, of uh, education and music and hospitality. So I went to school to be a professional musician. I actually do have my degree, but I don't really use it at all. And, and I found out while I was there at university that to be I guess a professional, you had to be good at that. So uh, I changed careers and became a middle school teacher and, and taught in the public school system six years. I liked doing that, but took a summer job really working at Hard Rock and uh, just was a host. I fell madly in love, though, with, with the culture and the people. And that's kind of what started me down this uh, this long and winding road, I like to say, to organizational culture. So you know, I just I, I wound up loving my rock and roll night job a lot better than my uh, my teaching day job is kind of how that goes. But yeah, you said it best. I mean, I, I now have a lot of initiatives. I work for myself, which I absolutely love. But I still, I think, get a chance to pull those levers of of music and education and hospitality. And now now we put it into one big bucket we call edutaining. I heard you. I heard you trying to say the word earlier. It's a nice combination of words, but that's that's my jam now. Yeah, I was trying to say it. That's, that's kind of a new <laughs> word to me. Um, and, and by the way, uh, before I got a proper job, so to speak, um, I, I was I was working in bars and whatnot, and, and I've I've experienced the hospitality industry, and and um, actually I, I took a lot of lessons from my time uh, in in the hospitality industry in, into oh, yeah. what I do now. And um, I, I think I think we're going to have a pretty interesting chat today, and, and we can yeah, we me can too. certainly yeah let, let let's relate some of those lessons from from hospitality and into into talking about company culture. Let, let's start though by um, I'd love for you to to share your ideas around how you define company culture and and why it's so important to build a strong culture in one's organization. Yeah, you know it um, it definitely is quite the buzzword, right? You like, I hear a lot of people talking about it and its importance. And, and and maybe to your question, you go back and you define it because I know everybody knows how critical it is now, but I don't think it was always like that. It, it was always sort of a throwaway word because if you go back 20, 30 years ago, I think a lot of executives were focused on the product or, or, you know, the financial results, but 
I guess culture was always in my mind considered this nebulous esoteric concept for a lot of people. And if there's no business financial results tied to it or company strategy, then, you know, it just got dismissed for so long. And then you started to see all these awesome companies that were great from a culture standpoint. That's what they focused on. And oh, by the way, the end result is what happened. That's what occurred. That was the byproduct. So much so that Miriam Webster, you know, li listed uh, culture as their word of the year, just like four or five years ago. So, you know, clearly defining it either in my talks or in my book, that's always been one of my crystal clear missions. And so the way that I define it is, I think, honestly, it's just a collection of individuals, a, a collection of people that have some pretty unique behaviors. And some of those behaviors are awesome and some of them not so much. So, you know, you get those group of people together at that moment, that is your culture. And so I can expand on that a little bit more, but here's the reason why it's so critical to get that human component, even in the age right now where there's AI and robotics and, and a lot of stuff that's just going to be automated. I think from an external viewpoint, the, these customers, these guests, they only want to spend money with brands and companies that make them feel good. They, they want to have memorable experiences. You know, they're making purchasing decisions based off of, in a lot of ways, an emotional connection, you know, and if a company makes them feel good about that interaction with the brand, they're coming back to the well. They're going to spend more money and talk about you and, you know, talk about you positively, by the way, and, and they're going to continue to keep coming back. From an internal standpoint, employees, I, I think, have the same touch points. You know, businesses that are stable, at least financially, you know, you're, you're being taught, you're, you're being groomed, maybe there's growth opportunities, it's fun, it's clean, it's safe, blah, blah, blah. You get on the list of what you and I would want, Bill, in a, in a, in a company. That's when a healthy environment is created and that's where people wanna work. So no doubt, morale's gonna be higher in those companies, turnover's gonna be lower. You know, the culture winds up being envied by everybody. I, I guess my, my whole point is if, if somebody even decides to leave the organization as an employer, you get a chance to choose the best talent available. And so when you've just got this great group of rock star employees, you know, you're right off onto the sunset. And there's just there's too many great companies that you can now point to. And I see so many statistics. Um, in, in fact, I just went to a conference a year and a half ago. This is before, obviously, the pandemic. And it was snag a job. They were talking about that their annual survey now listed culture as the number one reason why people consider a job, followed by, I think it was growth and opportunity and flexibility and, and position and whatever it was. Like money was way lower on the list. So I know that's a long answer, but I understand that it is always about people's behaviors, number one. And number two, it is massively important. And I think people realize it now. They're really getting about it and getting about it quick. Now that as part of my homework ahead of today's chat, I was watching a few uh, a few videos of uh, presentations that you've given in the past. You're a very entertaining guy, by the way, Jim. And um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> in, in one of them, you, you said that people often confuse the idea of culture with the term heritage. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And and why are leaders and founders perhaps more fixated on the the concept of heritage versus newer employees who you say are more interested in the term culture? Yeah, I, I think this concept or or the comparison between those two words is one of the first aha moments that a, a lot of people will have in my speeches. So thank you for that. I, I think for whatever reason, I think people confuse culture with that word heritage. They use them interchangeably, and I think they aren't exactly sure what they mean. And he, here's why. I think heritage, and I don't know what the first thing is that comes to your mind. If I throw that out to the audience, 
they're going to say a lot of things, tradition, ancestry, you know, the past, the way it's always been done. And the, and the answer is yes. Like I agree with all that. And if you put it in a bucket, heritage is about the past and the company may have an, a great story, great history, you know, and, and there's something to be said about sharing that story and, and doing some cool storytelling and your orientation, your training. Yeah, 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 yeah. But as much as people love the past, as much as they love nostalgia, especially the good old days, they really care about the here and now. That's what, if I'm sitting in a day one orientation, that's what's going on in my head. Like I tip my hat. I acknowledge all the heritage that maybe is what got me into the the, the place in the first place. But I am thinking about what about me right now and what does the future look like? And so, you know, if you're the founder or the CEO or you've been doing this for a hundred years, whatever it is, you care a whole heck of a lot more about the past and the heritage than I do if I'm the new person coming on board. And so the reason that I bring that up is because if you believe in my definition that culture is about human behaviors, it's about the present, it's about the now, whoever's employed now, that's the culture. And the reason I make that concerted effort is I, I think that people get wrapped up in the past. You know, they, they sit there and go, oh, it's not the way that it's always been done. Oh, I remember when, yes, of course, you know, and, and, and we should talk about it. We should celebrate heritage. We should recognize it and, and I guess throw our arms around it and love on it. But honestly, we have got to focus on today. And that is all about getting these unique behaviors, this living organism, which is what the culture is, get that right. And, and here's the problem, Bill, as people join or leave the band, the culture changes. Again, if you believe my definition that it's about the humans, every time somebody leaves, whether they were good or bad, they still affected the culture. And when somebody else joins, they affected the culture. And if you're the new guy and I've been here two, three weeks, maybe not so much of a dent, but I still made a, a change in the culture. But if I'm an executive, if I'm the president, if I'm the founder and I leave, uh-oh, big, broad, sweeping impact and influence. And the guy or girl that's going to take over for that role they're going to make some changes as well. So you don't even realize it, but over time people come and go and that's why the company changes. It's not about the stuff or the product or the logos or the forms or whatever. It's always about the human. Okay. I, I'm, um, we're getting into the, uh, the semantics today, but I want to keep going anyway. Um, okay. So we're speaking about culture, but I think also there's a key component here and, and I'd encourage uh, my listeners to check out uh, a couple of episodes I did with, a chap called Stephen Chebletsky, who's from Simon Sinek Inc., yep. where uh, uh, Stephen spoke about the why of a business, okay? And, and and within that, he spoke about the legacy. And so you, you've also claimed that culture is, and, and to quote you here, really a collection of individuals, each with unique behaviors. C can you maybe explain what you mean by that? And perhaps you can also respond to the assertion that in the context of a company, culture is actually led by its overarching mandate it's why it's mission and and the employees are able to shape a culture but not necessarily able to redefine that why the the mission that that legacy uh, that a firm is originally built upon yeah I, that that's a great question and actually almost connecting the two i love the way that you framed it too maybe going back to the first part i, I believe that you know, you, you look at a person who's going to come on board with an organization, you know, you're going through the interview, you've, you've done your recruiting, they're in front of you, maybe they're going through the training. What, what now, after all these years of writing and talking about it and studying and case studies and consulting and all that, what I've learned, and, and this is probably going all the way back to my school teacher days, everything is learned behavior, everything. You learn everything from 
school, from your parents, from the playground, from your friends, from religion, from lack of religion. By the time you're a 19-year-old kid wanting a job, you are the way you are. I start with that. And, and, and you can change. You have to make a cognizant, conscious decision to do that. But you are the way you are. And if you're natural disposition isn't to, you know, smile around other people or have a have a fun personality around other people. That's going to be a problem for me. You know, I've as as good of a trainer as I thought I was, I could not train people to smile. I could not train them to have a good personality. Either got the juice running through your veins or you don't. So I start with that premise thinking, you know, maybe I, I if I had time to go back, I would go, I would be a recruiter versus a training person because at least I felt like I had my finger on the pulse of the people that you could bring on board. So I start with that and think, <clears throat> geez, if everything is learned behavior, that kind of puts me into a, a, a problem because as an employer, it's all day long. Where do I go find these rock stars? How, you know, instead of me trying to push them uphill to do anything exciting for the end user, the customer, the guest, whatever it is. I start with that. But then to your point about this, I think you said this overarching mandate, this mission, like Simon Sinek talks about, I, I do think they're not mutually exclusive. I think as a company, as a brand, you could get to the point that you say, this is the the line, this is the mission, this is our purpose, and everything will revolve around it, including us hiring to that. I don't think there's anything different with that. I think you certainly should have, whether it's posters and wallet cards and videos, and you talk about it on a regular basis, all that does is reinforce it for the rock stars that you hire, or it weeds out the lip syncers that are already in the organization. So yeah, I, I like his idea of starting with why, you know, my business partner, Brant, talks about discovering your what first, which is a little bit counterproductive, and we can go down a rabbit hole on that for sure. But I think when you put your personal values and you get that match to the company values, you're gonna have you're you're gonna get to Nirvana. You're gonna get to something spectacular. So I don't look at them as mutually exclusive. I go yes and, but when I'm the human resources manager, or if I'm a general manager, or I'm just a floor manager of whatever the company is, and I got to go and hire people, I'm going to make sure that I've got a rock star in front of me, or, or they're just not going to make it through. They will not make it through because we'll vote them off the island at some point sooner rather than later. Now, uh, it's almost like you've got a crystal ball because you mentioned that if you could do it over again, maybe you would have got into recruitment. How do you think uh, hiring managers and HR can maybe maximize their chances of identifying and recruiting those candidates that are genuinely sharing the same core values. Yeah, I, you know, I am such a big believer of, I, I think you ought to have great strategies and initiatives in every single area of the employee life cycle. And so if I'm in human resources, I know everything from how I'm going to even go and recruit and interview and hire and train and develop and all of that stuff on the front end. But then it's ongoing. How do I reward and recognize and, and develop people and communicate with them? And even the way I separate with them, like there should be stuff in place for all of these. But honestly, to your question, you got to start at the front. And so I, I would, you know, you probably have to not just as an HR person, I think anybody listening. You got to gather all of the leadership together and go, listen, we're going to decide to only hire rock stars. It's going to be painful. There's going to be a couple of positions that will be left open for a while, but let's identify what that looks like. Let's go find where they are. And oh, by the way, they, they might be in some unlikely places. They're not just going to be, you know, hanging out in our competitive, competitive space. And they're not just showing up and putting in applications and resumes. You got to go and mine for them. The really good ones. 
I would hire to what I call the three C's. That's competence, character, and now culture fit. Like we didn't used to talk about it. It was just, can you do the job? And do you have a good personality? That's kind of competence and character. But now there's something to be said about understanding that somebody fits into the company or not. So those three C's are critical. You, you could probably even go before that and say, I'm going to create brand specific recruiting collateral. Stuff that looks like, you know, I look at the stuff that marketing produces for customers, the same font, the same color, the same images, the same humor, whatever it is, turn that inside, use the same stuff for my hiring collateral versus the traditional, you know, now hiring or, or help wanted. I can't stand seeing stuff like that because I'd rather try and get other people that really love my company, love my brand. I want those eyeballs on the company. And then when you get in front of me, you know, this is probably HR 101. It's non-negotiable hiring standards, right? It's interview guides. It's multiple leaders doing multiple interviews. It's different questions. It's the usual open-ended behavioral based in my world. I'd even try and ask some cultural questions. I, I just think, you know, Bill, to your point, there's a lot of things that you could do to make sure that you hire rock stars and you're going to put them in an environment that is already successful. That That's how I think my mind works anyway. And, and let's just be clear with this term rock stars, because I initially go to, and it's probably just me, but I initially go to thinking about extroverts, perhaps a rock star, somebody who's going to get out there, go get, maybe a maverick. But you're not saying that, right? You're, you're saying it's people who are going to make a difference. It's, it's people who care. It's people who are going to fit correctly. You got it. it. And it might be a little combo of of both. You know, I, I think there's a loud, crazy, over the top, grandiose moment that somebody can bring the thunder when it's necessary. But there's also a cool, quiet, subtle moment. It's leaving people alone. You know, celebrities can go and hang out like a rock star in my mind has that talent. They've got the competence. They've got the wherewithal to look at somebody and go. What would it take right now to rock this person's face off? Should I leave them alone? Is it attention to detail? Is it sense of urgency? You, you've got to figure it out. You got to look at somebody to to really l read the guest, to seize the moment, to ultimately crush their expectations. And it's different for everybody. I just want smart people who can make that decision at that moment to go, yep, I, I, I've done it for them. They're coming back. They're spending more money and they're going to talk about me positively. But you're right. It's not. It's not always crazy. You got to figure out what it is at that moment to completely bring something spectacular. Okay, so so far we've, we've spoken a little bit about those organizational focal points, those key tenants that you mentioned, um, and and how to amp those up and maintain or even revol revolutionize a company's culture. But mm -hmm. obviously, things have changed a lot in the last year, Jim. Um, how, how have those tenants changed perhaps in the last year as, as a result of the COVID turmoil and, and the socio-political changes that we've all been going through in the past 12 months? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a challenge, uh, you know, and I think probably some distance-based working, distance-based learning, even communication right now, uh, particularly in some countries where there's still a lockdown going on. Um, people are still furloughed. Some people have lost their jobs. I get that. But I think in the work environment, which is where I sort of focus my energy more than anything else, there are going to be some challenges. You know, I think, you know, more than ever, and this is what frustrates me, even after lockdowns have been lifted in some locations in my country, you know, there's still some markets that are locked down, but others that have opened up and they're fully 100% open. 
And yet it blows my mind that there are some companies out there that maybe aren't bending over backwards or not bringing something exciting to the table. They've just become a little bit apathetic and, and it blows my mind. I'm like, you haven't had work or business for six, seven, eight months. You should be doing everything possible to get people to come and join you to spend money with you, whatever it is. So I think maybe a couple of things. There are some challenges. I think if if I was a leader, I got to understand today's workforce that they're just they're visual, they're tech savvy, they they do have short attention spans. Uh, you know, they're they're philanthropic in nature. Like these happened before the COVID environment, but now coming out of it, technology is going to be so much more important. And you may as well figure out a way to get your your team to utilize technology. There's going to be significant amount of change. We've gone through a lot, but now in my mind, that means you better start being more nimble and flexible. You know, I thought I was recession proof and, and I have been as a, as a business, but I was not pandemic proof. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of companies weren't as well. So I, I think these challenges are still going to be there, but now I still think there's things you can do. You can refuse to become apathetic and sit back on your laurels in anything that you're doing. You cannot just focus on, like I said, the product service has got to be unbelievable. I, I think you can become an expert. You personally, if I'm a leader or as an employee, either one, I, I can start becoming an expert in whatever my, uh, my industry is. Listen to podcasts, read books, take courses, you know, dive into the business so that when things get back to, you can't see me doing air quotes, when we get back to doing normal or the new normal, you're, you're valuable to the organization one way or another. You know, if I'm a manager, I, I'm uh, I, I might be doing a SWOT analysis. You know, the old strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Like I'm trying to figure out how can I anticipate some change. How can I head them off at the pass? How how can I, when I get my team back together, love on them a little bit more? You know, just saying thank you more and and looking for reward and recognition initiatives. Like we probably weren't doing a lot of that before, but now, oh man, I, I would be bending over backwards to be thanking people. I, I would do everything in my power to, to, to promote people to, to, and, and I'm not saying really promote them in level, but just creating this army of, of what I maybe call promotable giants. They are ready to take on more responsibilities. You don't got to tell me about the brand's mission. I got it. I, I'm I'm all about it. I'm a brand ambassador for you. So, you know, I'm throwing out a lot of things, but I think you can bring the flamethrower every day and light up the culture. You can do it from a distance. You can do it when you're standing in front of people. You've got to, as a leader, perhaps motivate and inspire and communicate more than ever, especially now that we're coming out of the COVID environment. It's no different. I just think it's amped up a little bit more. And, and I guess your philosophy is very much shaped by the fact that you worked in the hospitality industry. And, and of course, you mentioned you were a teacher there. Um, certainly for me, you know, I, I, I learned a lot of lessons, and a lot of skills in terms of customer service and, and always putting that above everything else because I worked in hospitality. And it's, it's the same for you, right? It is. And I've seen so many statistics that even a couple of healthcare studies that when people have a similar candidate in front of them and one of them has hospitality in the background and the other one doesn't they're going for the hospitality person so people that work in restaurants and hotels and, and probably retail as well there's something about that beginning grassroots position that you've got to be smart you got to be nimble you got to be quick all of those things are important in just the hospitality world but then you take that person and plop them in another industry they, they, there's a lot of learnings in there. Okay, now I'd love you to tell me a little bit about your your book, Culture That Rocks, How to Revolutionize Your Company Culture, which, by the way, listeners, uh, it, it was listed in Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the 
five books that will help you transform how to do business. So tell us a bit about that and, and what makes your book a wee bit different from other culture books out there. Ah, thanks, Bill. Yeah, it's it, it's a how-to business book. You know, I really, my mission really coming out of the gate when I left Hard Rock in 2012, that's when I retired from corporate life. I really wanted to help create and maintain and, you know, use that word earlier, revolutionize an organizational culture. And so, you know, of course, having the luxury of working for Hard Rock, one of the greatest brand cultures in the world, that did influence me. Um, and of course, with my music degree. So I, I do a lot of this music orientation to it. I do a lot of band and brand analogies. I just think that's fun for people, that edutainment, like I said. Um, there's there's a few hard rock current and eddies in there. And, and uh, I reference a lot of quotes from some of my rock and roll heroes and, and use those as learnings. But, you know, I don't want people to get lost in, in sort of that spirit of rock and roll. That's fun. I think it's interesting. But I want people to get through with the book, you know, as much as they would be sitting through one of my talks and go, that was awesome. That was a great use of my time. It is just replete with tons of meaty takeaways. So the, the music is really just the, the rapping that I use. I really want people to push back and go, I can make my work life and, and maybe a little bit personal. You know, that's a great uh, byproduct as well. But really, it's I can go back and crush my current job responsibilities. And there's so much that I can grab from this blueprint. That's the ultimate goal. But I would say edutainment is uh, once again, that's the name of the game in this book edutainment got it listeners i've got it now uh, okay <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're coming towards the end of this uh, interview for those out there who want to who want to get in touch with you who want to who want to reach out to you maybe you can share with them now the, the best ways to do that whether that's through email linkedin through your website maybe on tiktok um, and also um what about getting a copy of your book what's the best way to do that yeah, so I make it easy for everybody. All roads lead to my website, which is Night Speaker. So that's my last name, K-N-I-G-H-T, nightspeaker.com. Because through that, you know, I can do email. I can wind up having conversations. You can buy the book there. You can go get it on Amazon too, but it's a lot easier. And I can sign a copy if people want it uh, through nightspeaker.com. And you'll see all the other shenanigans that I'm involved with. But um yeah, I, I, I've had a lot of fun uh, doing not only my, my speeches, but certainly writing this book. And I'm in the process of deconstructing it now into three smaller books around leadership, employee engagement and service. So that'll be down the road. But yeah, nightspeaker.com is the place to go. And I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to point people there. And, and thank you. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today on, on this episode of the HR Chat Show. My pleasure, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Rock on. And until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.